0: I'm Michael Cross, host of the KOSU Daily Podcast. Every weekday, I bring you the biggest Oklahoma stories of the day with reporting and analysis from our team of journalists and partners. Get the news you need to start your day in less than 10 minutes. Find the KOSU Daily in your podcast feed and subscribe now.
1: This Week in Oklahoma Politics is sponsored by the Oklahoma State Medical Association, cornerstone of Oklahoma medicine with physician members who are committed to better
0: health for all Oklahomans. Learn more at okmed.org. For KOSU, I'm Michael Cross, and it's time for This Week in Oklahoma Politics, along with Republican political consultant Neva Hill and civil rights attorney Ryan Kiesel. Attorney General Gettner Drummond drops a lawsuit by Governor Stitt against class Wallet. Stitt had tried once again to sue the Florida-based company over misspent COVID education funds, The Drummond took over the case and immediately dismissed it. Drummond has put the blame on the misspending at the feet of Governor Stitt and now State Superintendent Ryan Walters. Ryan, are you surprised by the AG's decision?
2: I think if there's any surprise, it's just how quickly it happened. Uh, you know, the the attorney general took the suit over almost immediately, which is his constitutional prerogative. The attorney general of the state of Oklahoma has the ability to assume prosecution, uh, defense, uh, litigation of any matter that has an interest to the state, and that's exactly what he did here. And in doing so, I mean, he said in his motion that he does not take this action lightly; that it is, uh, you know, something that he believes very strongly about, and he's safeguarding the interest of Oklahomans. In his communication with the governor, he minced zero words, which you know tends to be uh, uh, General Drummond's uh, M.O. I mean, he, he is a very plain-spoken person, and and he lets you know uh, what he's thinking. He puts, he puts all his cards out on the table, which is pretty refreshing uh, in politics to have somebody that just puts it all out there. And that's exactly what he did here. Um, and I think he's correct in that, the fact that the evidence for the state of Oklahoma uh, has only gotten worse since the first lawsuit has been filed. So it, it's not like the, lo- the first lawsuit was filed, then dismissed by General uh, Drummond once he was elected, and then the state has found out a bunch of exculpatory information that has made it clear that class wallet uh, was liable. That hasn't happened. In fact, the opposite, this, you know, the, the more audits, the more information that comes out, the picture looks worse for the state. Mm-hmm. And General, Drum- uh, General Drummond recognized that it was going to be, you know hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, in defense uh, fees that we would have to pay, uh, attorney fees that we would have to pay to class wallet if this thing moved any further so I think that explains the quick action you know don't let the other side rack a lot of uh, billable hours get this thing off the books he dismissed it with prejudice this is gone
0: Neva and
1: it is interesting because last month when when um, the governor asked the attorney general uh, to file this uh, suit and he declined then OMES hired attorneys and and General Drummond basically told the governor, if you do this, I'm going to take control. In other words, there's no end game here. Uh, this is the way it's going to be. And I think you're right, <laughs> Ryan, when you read uh, uh, read some of the uh, uh, statements that have been made. I mean, uh, Attorney General Drummond basically lays this down to two words. And the two words are blanket approval. Mm-hmm. And that goes back to the what he describes as the faulty judgment uh by at that time the Secretary of Education Ryan Walters and these misspent funds so um, he he pointed out again that the audit findings not only by the US Department of Education's uh, Office of the Inspector General but the state auditor Cindy Byrd's audit uh, all point to this so the fact that uh, we're continuing to to see this conversation take place uh, I think is uh, uh, is interesting but ClassWallet was very quick to uh, come in with a statement saying that they were grateful for the Attorney General, basically uh, once again confirming what they have said all along, and that is that as a software vendor, ClassWallet had neither, neither the responsibility nor the authority to exercise any of these decision making uh, judgments with respect to the Oklahoma programs that are in question. So, uh, we'll see if there's any other uh, episodes that come <laughs> along in the aftermath of this. But I think it is very clear cut um, with respect to where the Attorney General's office is on this. And now we'll see, and, and I think here's the other question that we've talked about before on the program, is is there additional investigation still ongoing and it, will, there, will there be in fact any uh, uh, indictments or anything come out of any of this uh, in the future. I don't think anyone knows at this point, but it certainly begs the
0: question. A multi-county grand jury indicts three people from Swadley's over the controversial operations of state park restaurants. Owner Brent Swadley and two others face six felony counts, including conspiracy to defraud the state. Neva, we talked about this last week, but it was before the indictments were announced. That's right, and
1: I think now that we have seen these shoes drop, I mean, Mm -hmm. the the indictments uh, come forward. The the state's multi-county grand jury uh, issued these indictments, and then they were revealed quickly the same day. And uh, now we see, uh, certainly, at least in one instance, with uh, Brent Swadley, where uh, he's retained counsel they have come forward very quickly and said that they absolutely deny any wrongdoing they're going to lay out their case so it will be again um, a, a very a very back and forth contentious uh, potential uh, legal, unraveling that I think we'll see uh, in the next several months or maybe longer. And it will be interesting when you really see how these allegations really square up, um, where will there be additional facts? Will there be additional information come out that may change and have some real twists in terms of the overall conversation of at least what we've seen reported
0: thus far? Ryan, we talk about this about discovery a lot on this mm-hmm. show. And so could this come back to bite the state?
2: Oh, I, I think so. I think that uh, if, if you're in the Swadley's camp right now, you're one of these indicted individuals, then your defense, uh, I think your chief defense is that the state okayed all of this uh, and that you were only doing what the state asked you to do and, and that everything that you were doing was under the supervision of a state official. Yeah, and you know whether that's the, the former director of tourism, I'm, I'm sure that they're going to you know, throw uh, Lieutenant Governor Pinnell uh, uh, under the bus with this as well possibly even Governor Stitt, uh, you know, who knows where it all lands. But, you know, so you're gonna have discovery, but then, you know, in a criminal case like this, um, I think it's really gonna come down to, like what kind of a defense are they gonna be able to mount? Uh, you know, I think that, you know, where there are fraudulent smoker invoices, there are fire. And that's what we're looking at right now. These, the, the the just trying to, you know, potentially nickel and dime the state. Um, and, you know, what they say is, well, if we'd got you the new smokers, you would have had to wait Months because there's a back order on them, so we gave you these other ones that were lightly used, um, mm-hmm. and you know, that to me is is you know impermissible. But uh, if they can demonstrate that the state all along was saying just do what you need to do, mm-hmm. uh, let's get these things open, just do what you need to do, um, it will be interesting. And and there is an indication from uh, at least one of the gentleman's attorneys that they're willing to take this to a jury trial. And uh, that is, you know, this is going to be one of those jury trials that we, it won't be a day or two. I mean, this could be, you know, multiple weeks uh, of evidence, uh, of witnesses, and some pretty interesting people that could be called to have to come testify on this matter.
1: Oh, you know, it's yeah. interesting. I think it is interesting to point out on, on the <laughs> the issue with the uh, two smokers uh, that in the grand jury report, uh, in the indictments, they talk about the fact that, that there was an equipment supplier that was directed. To basically fabricate an mm-hmm. invoice and increase the amount by thirty percent, according to the indictment, and that uh, then that then the state was billed for those. So again, we're talking about a fake invoice uh, that uh, um, that is one of the uh, one of the matters in this indictment. As and I think uh, certainly listeners can as. As is interesting nowadays to be able to go online quickly and be able to read uh, these reports, mm-hmm. it is fascinating uh, that there was a lot of deliberation. there's a lot of information in there, certainly too much to uh, talk about uh, on on one program. but I think you're right, Ryan, in terms of if it goes to a trial, it becomes a much more politically charged trial because already we've seen Swadleys basically lay out their contention in in their uh, brief that was filed. Um, recently, they basically said in essence that tourism ran up this four million dollar uh, bill. They had a budget shortfall. Uh, they they panicked under, you know, the scrutiny that was coming along and that they basically um, used Swadley's as the fall guy. And, and this was in an election year. Mm-hmm. And they, of course, bring in, as you said, not only Governor Stitt, but uh, but the Lieutenant Governor. So um, it, it could be very, very messy. But at the end of it, it's it's about what the facts are and how that would be laid out if it does, in fact, go to uh, a courtroom trial.
0: Earlier this week, the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics released a report showing food prices grew by 4% over the past year. Well, Senate President Pro Tem Greg Treat used the study to push his bill to eliminate the grocery sales tax. Ryan, what did you think of Treat's statement?
2: Well, I think that it makes sense. Uh, You know, inflation, you know, we had inflation around 9% back in mid-2022. Uh, we're down to 3% right now uh, or, or even less in January of 2024. Significant improvement in terms of inflation, but that hasn't been realized across the board. And there are still a lot of items and services that, were, that have not caught up with that reduced inflation rate. I think food items and groceries being among them. And so Oklahomans are paying an increased amount of food from where they were a year or two years ago. And that is taking a lot of money out of their pocketbook. And it is interesting, you know, one of the, the real pushbacks whenever you're at the Capitol and you talk about the grocery tax, one of the first things that people say is, if, if we do this, uh, you know, we're not just talking about the state, we're talking about municipal governments as well, uh, you know, what, what's going to happen to them, they rely on the sales tax. Um, and, you know, in, in a pro temp Treat's statement, you know, he mentions specifically the state portion, you know, that 5% state portion. Uh, of the taxes, not talking about the municipal governments, right. and so you know those would ostensibly remain intact. But even still, uh, President Pro Treat says that Oklahomans will still experience significant savings in their pocketbooks. And when we talk about tax relief, so much of uh, tax relief conversations center around things like income tax, and those uh, those taxes, generally, if you reduce them, uh, are going to benefit the upper income uh, Oklahomans. You know the folks making the most money in the state. Grocery tax, you know, this is, you know, these sales taxes, uh, these are taxes that hit lower income working Oklahomans the hardest. Uh, and so this will be the kind of tax relief that I think all Oklahomans benefit, but especially those Oklahomans that need it the most. Never.
1: You know, it's interesting because the figures that uh, Pro Tem Treat used, I mean, are based on census data. And with the average Oklahoman spending about $300 when they take a trip to the grocery store, this puts Oklahoma in the top 10 in the country for highest grocery bills. So mm. I, this, this kind of changes uh, in, some, in some ways kind of the framework for some of this discussion now that we're in session, now that we're talking in real time about what lawmakers uh, will or won't do with respect to these various bills that are out there. Um, in this instance, with the grocery tax, I think that uh, even even last week, when the Oklahoma Press Association had their uh, annual legislative summit at the Capitol at the end of the week, I think Thursday, uh, you had you had the pro tem, you had the speaker, you had the governor, everyone talking uh, about the grocery tax, uh, talking about these other taxes. But according to the estimates, the state portion of the sales tax, the grocery sales tax would actually save Oklahomans, I think it's 5.5 times more money than the proposed uh, quarter percent income tax cut. Mm -hmm. So again, now that we're getting into the details and now we're getting into the To the reality of bills that may come up for votes in both chambers, I think that the grocery tax appears to be getting a little more traction, at least on the surface, talking to people that have been at the Capitol the last couple of weeks. Um, Is it going to happen tomorrow or the next day? Probably not. But I think we are going to see at least a very lively discussion on this before it's all said and done.
2: And I think that's a compelling case that uh, the Senate can make to the people of Oklahoma, that the governor can make that the bipartisan, you know, bipartisan support. I mean, so you've got, uh, on this deal, you have the uh, Senate Republicans, the Senate Democrats, uh, the House Democrats, the governor, um, and and I think probably a handful of House Republicans as well that are interested in passing this thing. And if if Oklahomans are going to have to pick between the two, and I I think that you have to, I think the idea of passing both of these tax cuts uh, is really just a non-starter. So if we're picking between the two, an Oklahoman looking at oh, I'm going to get maybe, I'm going to pay maybe $11 less in my income taxes, or I'll have $11 less in, in, liability at the end of the year versus, uh, being able to really see these savings at the grocery store where again, $300, uh, a trip, uh, you know, for a lot of Oklahomans, that's their pay. I mean, they, they, they are wiped out after they go to the grocery store.
0: And as a Democrat, though, what is do you, usually they support things like a grocery sales tax, but they also support things like a teacher pay raise, which Adam Pugh has put out.
2: How do you square those two? Well, and that's you know, uh, uh, Chairman Pugh had mentioned that one of the things that they're doing yeah. this year with the new budget process is that they have you know put language in these appropriations measures that are being heard in committee right now, saying uh, upon the availability of funds, um, and so they're trying to move these things like teacher pay raises. Through the legislature to get them at a point so that they're still in the conversation when the budget's being put together. A lot of that's going to we'll know more once uh, we get the actual amount that's certified. Um, what is it like in a week? Probably weeks? next week. Yeah, next has, week yeah. we'll 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 know how much we actually have to spend. Um, and you know, spending is can take the place of tax cuts. You know, also takes the place of teacher pay raises. You know, I think that you can make a an argument that uh, the grocery tax, which would have a smaller impact on the state's budget. would still allow legislators the opportunity to either invest in things like uh, teacher pay raises or withhold cuts from other state agencies. The grocery tax will take a bigger hit out of the overall revenue from the state of Oklahoma. So legislators, whether you're you're Democrats wanting to push for teacher pay raises, um, you know, whatever, and and Republicans now wanting to push for teacher pay raises uh, over in the Senate grocery tax I think keeps a lot of those ideas on the table.
1: And I think it's important to note that it that we have republicans in the house and the senate and leadership in in the house and the senate that are articulating the need to really look at what is best for oklahomans, what is the best public policy with respect to these with these tax bills that are out there. So, I don't think there's resistance on either side. I think it's just a question of where do they finally yeah. Where do they finally land? And the good news for lawmakers is that the governor has already indicated, put the bill on my desk and I'm going to sign it. So uh, I think that bodes well for this session, seeing something come out of it that will be uh, some tax relief
2: in some fashion for all Oklahomans. And I know we're just two weeks into this legislative session, but when you look at last legislative session, where there were immediate policy lines drawn in the sand that it, dictated the rest of the tone for the remainder of that session, We really haven't seen that this session so far. And I think that that's welcome. I think lawmakers feel a a real sense of relief and an ability to uh, engage in the deliberative process uh, without uh, these kind of, uh, you know, these swords hanging over their heads. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's, you know, the ability, because the governor hasn't said, uh, if you send me a grocery tax, I'm only going to sign it if you send me the income tax as well, or vice versa. So, you know, that that is a good sign. And it, it has definitely changed the tone of this legislative session versus last year,
0: Republican senators pick a new leader for the next legislative session during a closed-door secret ballot. Greg McCourtney of Ada was tapped as the next GOP leader to replace Greg Treat in 2025. Neva, what do you think of this choice?
1: Well, first of all, I mean, I think uh, we—I would congratulate uh, Senator McCourtney on uh, on uh, being sh- selected to be the next leader uh, in in among his Republican. Uh, colleagues. And I think the fact that he has already been the second highest, uh, in the second highest leadership position currently, uh, he he as the Senate majority leader was well positioned to be able to make the case that he wanted to continue to unite the party, wanted to work for common goals. Um, here's someone who's been in the Senate since 2016. Someone who uh, understands, the, not only understands the Senate, but someone who came to the Senate uh, from his hometown Ada, having been on the city council and served as mayor. So he's someone who um, knows the ropes. Uh, it was, as you say, um, Michael, closed door, as it always is. This is, uh, this is internal business to uh, uh, to the uh, Republican caucus in this instance. And they made their decision after, uh, after taking a vote. Uh, there was competition, but uh, uh, Senator uh, McCourtney is the is the new leader there will be a formal another vote taken in November I believe it is and then and and uh, uh, but there's no expectation that anything will change and I think now we see as as uh, the pro tem Sen- Senator Greg treat moves uh, out uh, at being term limited at the end of this year will be leaving after the November elections um, the that will see transition as we've talked about not only now in the in the Senate but also in the House, as they sometime during this session expect to uh, uh, make their choice on who will succeed uh, Charles McCall as the next Speaker of the House.
2: Right, and congratulations to Pro Temp uh, Elect McCourtney. that this was not an easy election, mm-hmm. uh, and there were a lot of outside interests that were playing into this. I mean, uh, you know, rarely do you see leadership races you know fought out with. Uh, email, and uh, text messages that are going out to constituents in, in various districts around the state. This was this was a hard-fought campaign uh, for Senator McCourtney, and he, and he came out on top. He had some competition from Senator Bullard uh, of Durant, uh, and Senator Casey Murdoch of Felt, uh, and you know Shane Jet from uh, Senator S- Shane Jett from Shawnee. Uh, I've been told made a, a last-minute uh, run, or was was nominated to the last minute and accepted the nomination uh, in the in the meeting. So. You know this was highly competitive and to, to walk out of that um and and to do so with a lot of grace uh you know i think that uh senator mccourtney even the, the next morning he quoted a, some scripture on on twitter that he said uh was giving him strength because he felt like he he had a lot of uh, access to grind but you know realized that that wasn't the way that he was going to go about this and you know, here's somebody who's you know, he said he put you know, a couple of thousand miles on his car over over the summer, you're going out. You're visiting lawmakers in their districts, talking to them about what's important to them, where they want to see leadership. Um, and uh, as floor leader, you, you mentioned uh, Neva. He's been kind of the quarterback in the the Senate for the Republican majority for a couple of years now. He knows the ropes. Uh, he and current pro temp Greg Treat uh, have a good relationship. I think that you know that will make for a very smooth transition of power as as uh, you know Senator Treat and uh, Senator McCourtney work together to make sure that you know, the end of uh, uh, Senator Treat's era as pro temp, which is, you know, record in length, um, uh, comes to an end, and there's a smooth handoff over to that leadership. So uh, I anticipate that, you know, the the future votes on this will yield the same results, and congratulations to Senator McCourtney, and, and good luck.
1: And I think it's important to note. You mentioned that we had this outside, kind of this outside uh, influence, trying to uh, trying to inject themselves into something that they had no real, no really no uh, place at the at the uh, table, so to speak, in terms of being involved. But what I think it was interesting that uh, Senator McCourtney he addressed that. I think uh, with one of the. Uh, uh, folks that interviewed him after after the election and basically said, "Look, uh, these are uh, these are very loud, a very small minority of the Republican Party uh, across the state who have, uh, frankly, not had all that great a success in electing uh, members. I mean, their their influence as they try to uh, inject themselves into uh, some of these." Uh, some of these things at the capitol have not uh, have not actually seen real results on their part and i think what we're seeing is some of these groups that have fashioned themselves as having a strong voice and being able to really uh, lobby hard uh, republican lawmakers and try to kind of persuade them their their direction if anything these sorts of events may do a lot to curb their effectiveness at the capitol just because of the fact that it was kind of out of context in some cases, uh, as we've seen in recent months, not only in Oklahoma, but across the nation, where these small pockets have been very shrill, very loud, very vicious in their approach to trying to not have a dialogue, not having just uh, stating a point of view, but trying to uh, be dictatorial in their their manner of trying to say this is the way it's going to be or else and the or else isn't working for them. So um, I think it'll be interesting to see now in the aftermath of this, uh, do they try this again on the House, you know, on the House side when they go behind closed doors and they select among themselves duly elected Republican members in their caucus who they want to be their next uh, leader. Uh, Will that have any influence or spillover? I think that remains to be seen.
0: Republican candidate Eric Harris won his election to the deep-red West Edmond House District 39. This normally wouldn't be news, but he only won with just 224 votes and only a five-point difference between him and his Democratic opponent. Neva, should the GOP be concerned by this result?
1: Well, I think it's it's easy to to dramatize uh, an election like this because let's remember, this was a special election. Uh, it was expected to be a low turnout election. Uh, the competition clearly I think Democrats saw an opportunity to have a, a very uh, uh, a very strong candidate that they had put forward as their nominee and they fought the, they fought the good fight hoping that in a low turnout election that it might favor them. this is a predominantly Republican district. Uh, all of the numbers go back and look I mean uh, overwhelming uh, in presidential. Turnout years with uh, Republican vote up and down the ticket. So the fact that out of almost 5,000 votes cast, we had a uh, 50-45 race with an with a Libertarian pulling about four and a half percent on at the end of that. Um, It really was no surprise. It was not an aggressive campaign. Uh, I think on uh, certainly the Republican had gone through a long and uh, very competitive race, multi-way winner-take-all primary, so I, I think there can be too much uh, kind of too much in infused into the conversation and make it uh, sound like that Republicans are just uh, not going to be competitive in these uh, highly Republican districts uh, anymore. And that's just, uh, there's no basis for that, I don't think.
2: Right. You know, I think, you know, typically in these low turnout races, you know, my experience is that Republican voters in Oklahoma uh, are much more motivated to show up in, in these low turnout races. You know, they they have a greater voter engagement intensity uh, than Democrats uh, for the most part. And so, you know, I I do think that in a low turnout race that you're still, you know, just above 50 percent. I think that it speaks uh, that there's a potential that you're beginning to see some shift there. And one of the uh, uh, things that is important to kind of point out is that you had, um, you know, this, if you compare this to where uh, Joe Biden was in the same district back in 2020, uh, Reagan Raff overperformed Joe Biden by 36 percent. Um, all politics is local. I think that, that that really demonstrates that whenever you can, you know, move beyond national politics and you've got somebody that's out there on the door knocking doors, talking to voters. And I know that the RAF campaign worked extremely hard. And, you know, uh, a big congratulations to her, um, you know, putting your name out there and running for office. Never an easy thing to do. Uh, and, and to see whenever you, you fall short by 279 votes, that, that it's gotta be heartbreaking uh, that you worked so hard and you got so close. But still, congratulations. Congratulations to leader Cindy Munson, uh, the uh, Democratic leader uh, in the House. She and her leadership team worked uh, diligently. I mean, I, I, I felt like every time I opened Instagram, I saw photos of, of leader Munson and, and other House Democrats out knocking doors uh, and working this, working this race very hard. Um, you know, one one thing that's kind of interesting with Eric Harris coming in is that he's going to be an attorney, uh, and it used to be the case uh, that the legislature was populated with attorneys. Mm-hmm. You you could you couldn't walk around without bumping into one. Uh, and Neva, I texted this morning, and, and I think that you did some math for us, and you said that he's going to join maybe what you. Uh, I, think, I think it's
1: going to be eight with I mean, he'll he'll be the eighth in the house and then there's five uh, attorneys in the senate so when you think about that i mean and that and there's out of 149 th- people. out of 100 yes i mean and the fact that uh you have even in that instance of the eight and the five in the House, one of those is term limited, uh, mm-hmm. the, uh, John Eccles, and in the uh, uh, Senate, uh, uh, Kay Floyd. So you have. Uh, I think it is one of those things that oftentimes there's this perception in the minds of many uh, many Oklahomans that uh, the legislatures just filled with a bunch of attorneys, and the, and these numbers certainly uh, show that that's anything but true. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but Eric Harris is an attorney. Uh, had a had a uh, uh, Sten at one point uh, as an assistant attorney general, uh, someone who was uh, heavily supported by uh, many in the, in, the, in the trial bar, and others who um, saw one of their own and were interested in uh, 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 helping, uh, helping in that race. So I, I think it is fascinating that, uh, that there always has been this conversation about the attorney factor, and yet now in Republican-dominated uh, House and Senate uh, chambers, uh, we see so few. And and a
2: lot of them are Republicans. Uh, yeah, I mean, six it, Republicans yeah.
1: and uh, uh, in the House and three Republicans in the uh, Senate. I, Senate, I believe. So um, and then two and two among the Democrats in both chambers. So um, it is it is interesting. Will we see more um, attorney? And certainly there have been attorneys uh, uh, throughout time, like you say, Ryan. I mean, if you look back, and I don't know what the numbers, how different they would uh, uh, compute in. The days gone by when it was Democrat-controlled legislatures, but I think at one point, certainly many decades ago, it was heavily uh, uh, heavily dominated by attorneys in the legislature. So um, just a fascinating, fascinating uh, piece of uh, trivia, I guess, <laughs> in some measure for our listeners.
0: Uh, Ryan and Eva's comments do not necessarily reflect the views of KOSU, its staff, or management. Programs like this are made possible through support from KOSU members who are listeners like you. Consider a gift to KOSU in support of This Week in Oklahoma Politics at donate.kosu.org.
2: Hey there, this is Jenny Mae Harms with KOSU, where we want to talk with you, not just at you. One way we connect with listeners just like you is through social media, like Instagram. So follow us at KOSU Radio, where you'll get a behind-the-scenes look into KOSU reporting, station news, and even ticket giveaways. Just follow KOSU Radio on Instagram, and we'll see you there.